As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello, hello, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 160, and today we'll be talking about delirium, recognizing, preventing, and combating delirium in the acute care setting. We'll also dive a little bit into the differences between dementia and delirium because you will need to be able to differentiate between those on exams, but we'll talk about dementia as itself in another episode, okay? So before we dive into delirium, let's do a quick shout out. This one goes out to Victoria, who used this podcast to study for specific topics. And Victoria says, thank you. I was so lost doing my med surge homework on electrolytes and acid-base balance. I have a long commute to school and was able to listen to all of those podcasts, and it all makes so much more sense. So thank you, Victoria. That is exactly why I do this podcast. I remember what it was like to be in nursing school and needing some supplemental information, but always, always at my desk and by making the podcast I was able to because I, well, it wasn't a podcast yet, you guys, but I recorded myself reading my notes and then would listen back to them. And it changed everything about how I studied. I was able to get up, move around, listen while I was in the car, listen while I was out for a walk. It was absolutely life changing. And I'm taking that even further with my private members only podcast study sesh, which you may have heard me mention if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks. And in study sesh, we use four really highly engaging study techniques to take your learning even further while freeing you even more from your desk. So I've included a link in the episode notes and hang around to the end if you want to hear a little bit more about that. So something you will need to be able to differentiate in both clinical and on your exams is delirium versus dementia. So on the blog post that accompanies this episode, there's a table there, but I'll talk you through the components of it here on the podcast episode. But if you find that you're having trouble visualizing it, don't worry, it's there on the blog post episode associated with this. So just go to the Straight Nursing website and you will see this there. Okay, so with the onset of dementia, we're looking at a slow progressive onset. And it's that slow progression of cognitive decline that develops over time. To contrast that, delirium has acute onset. Symptoms can improve and worsen over the course of the day. Okay, so dementia, slow progression of cognitive decline. 
and delirium. It's acute and it may fluctuate with how bad the symptoms are. Now, the cause of dementia that is caused by physiologic changes in the brain. The cause of delirium, it's often medications and illness and things that we do in the clinical setting. The causes of delirium can be multifactorial. The course of dementia is that it is irreversible. The course of delirium is that it is reversible. As far as if it affects memory or attention, dementia mainly affects the memory, and delirium mainly affects attention, though memory, very, uh, memory could be affected a little bit. It can vary. As for the time of the day, for dementia, often worsens at night. Same for delirium, but I would say delirium can exacerbate, and it won't even matter what time of the day or the night it is. And then as to... Is the patient oriented to time and place with dementia that is decreased? And with delirium, it's really variable. Um, but in general, I'm going to say from experience, it's also decreased. Okay, so in this lesson, like I said, we'll be focusing on delirium. We'll talk about dementia next week when we dive into Alzheimer's. But today we're talking about delirium, what it is, who's at risk, how to recognize it, and what we do about it. So let's get going. First, what is delirium? So delirium is that abrupt onset confusion that is characterized by fluctuating alterations in attention, cognition, and perception. So we definitely want to be able to recognize delirium. And the very first step in that is knowing which of our patients are at higher risk. So there's a lot of these, you guys, a lot of risk factors for delirium, which probably brings home why it's so common in the clinical setting. So patients at risk for delirium are the elderly especially those with underlying dementia. Anyone taking more than three medications, we call that polypharmacy. Those taking certain medications, such as benzodiazepines. Patients in critical care environments. Um, a lot of reasons for that. One of those is that day and night are difficult to distinguish. There's a lot of sleep disruption. Patients who have an infection. Anyone with an electrolyte imbalance. Patients with a history of depression or prior delirium. Patients with a urinary catheter. Malnourished patients. Those with liver or renal disease, patients who are on bed rest or who are immobile or who are restrained, dehydrated patients, any patient who is in pain, and anyone with an auditory or visual impairment, and patients withdrawing from drugs or alcohol, that's a huge one, and anyone who is lacking in sensory input. So again, long list, you guys. Typically, the first thing you might notice about a patient who's headed down that delirium pathway 
is confusion about time and place. The patient may not realize they are even in a hospital at all. I have taken care of patients in the ICU who thought they were on a cruise ship. And bless them, I'd rather be on a cruise ship than in the ICU any day of the week. Uh, Patients who were eating pizza at their aunt's house and could not for the life of them understand what all these strangers were doing at their aunt's house. And others who simply did not know where they were. They just knew they weren't home. Okay? So that first bit about not sure of time or place, like if you're at the point where you think you're at your aunt's house and you're trying to chew on your blanket because you believe it's a pizza, your delirium is pretty far advanced. Um, But maybe at first, it's a little bit of confusion about time and place, and then it gets to that point. Other signs of delirium include being especially quiet. This is common in what's called hypoactive delirium, being agitated, being restless, not really following directions or paying attention to things, picking at the bedding, picking at their gown, uh, pulling at their leads, taking things off because they don't understand why that stuff is there. So they're getting rid of it. It's irritating. Um, Using inappropriate words that maybe just don't fit the situation that you're in. As delirium progressive, the patient can hallucinate Okay, your blanket is not a pizza slice. Please don't eat it. That's not safe. And even become very aggressive. So there's a lot of work around keeping these patients safe and preserving their dignity in the process. So some delirium complications. So aside from the psychological stress that delirium has on the patient and family, it is associated with some significant complications. So increased falls increased length of stay, increased duration of long-term care after discharge if long-term care is needed, higher mortality, and even long-term cognitive decline. So even though we say delirium is reversible, there could be long-lasting effects from it. Many patients report PTSD and depression after suffering from hospital-associated delirium. So the name of the game is to recognize who is at risk, do our very, very best to prevent it, and if we have to recognize it, at least we recognize it early so we can intervene appropriately. So what are the, some, some of the things that we do to intervene for delirium? So the first thing, of course, is we want to mitigate predisposing factors as much as we can. The MD is going to look at medications, possibly in coordination with the pharmacist. Can we pull back on the medications that they're giving? Can we stop using benzodiazepines and use something else? Can we avoid restraints? Can we get that Foley catheter out? Is the patient hydrated? Are electrolytes optimized, et cetera, et cetera? Can you optimize nutrition, treat the infections? You get my point, right? We're going to try to mitigate those predisposing factors as much as we can. Some other interventions include normalizing that sleep-wake cycle as much as you are able to. Um, It's very hard in the hospital environment because at night, especially in critical care, night and day are exactly the same. So it's really, really difficult. So ICUs are trying to... um, 
you know, do things where there's quiet times and more differentiation between day and night. And you may notice that patients in the hospital might just want to lay in bed all day with the blinds drawn and sleep because they don't feel good. But really, it's best if they have exposure to sunlight during the day, turning on the lights, opening the window shades, and with that, promoting healthy sleep at night. Designate those quiet times. Cluster your care to minimize distractions. These are some key interventions that can make a really huge impact. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Another intervention is reorienting the patient. Now, while it may seem easier to just go along with that patient who's on the cruise ship, because maybe in our hearts, we all want to be on a cruise ship, but we're not, we're at work, we're in the ICU. It really only promotes further confusion. So reorient the patient to time, place and situation as needed. You can also ensure that patients have their glasses, their hearing aids, um, their dentures, all those things that they need for optimal sensory input and output, okay? Increasing physical activity as much as the patient is able is hands down my favorite intervention. Getting the patient moving, in my experience, has been such a reliable intervention that I will almost do that before I do anything else. Even just sitting the patient up in the chair, super, super helpful. Um, You have to look at what the patient is able to do. You know, obviously, if the patient's too sick to sit in the chair, are there other things that you can do? And I've got a recent podcast episode about immobility. So go back and check that one out if you really want to dive into the importance of mobilizing and some techniques that we use to mobilize patients who, you know, not everybody can walk the halls, but we can still mobilize all of our patients to the max level of their ability. I've had many, many times where a patient is just acutely confused okay, having delirium, and I get them up to the chair. And you can see, you can like see them, their clearing start to happen. Open those blinds, get them up to the chair. And then as they start being able to follow directions, and I feel like they're safe to get up and move around, then we walk around the room a little bit. And just it's almost like they walk away from the delirium, get them out in the hall, walk them. It's it's amazing. So um, definitely mobility is one of the keys. You also want to make sure that pain is managed in these patients. And there has to be a lot of family teaching um, around this situation. It can be really 
upsetting for family members to see their loved one going through delirium. So teaching the family members to speak calmly to the patient, to use simple phrases and words. They can help reorient the patient by talking simply about other family members or friends, people the patient knows well. Another great patient-centered intervention is bringing in the patient's favorite music, playing their favorite TV show. If you know that at home they watch Jeopardy every day, get Jeopardy on the TV. Bringing familiar items like their favorite pillow or a blanket, those kinds of things can really help. Caring for patients with delirium can be challenging for the nurse. It can be frightening for family members, but it's really, really devastating for the individual that is going through it. So I hope you feel like you have some tools now to help you utilize in the recognition, prevention, and treatment of this common but very serious condition that happens all the time in the clinical setting. So before I let you guys go today, I have a couple of fun announcements. So we have a free five-day challenge coming up starting July 8th. So with this challenge, the whole idea is we're going to do easy daily missions to help get you set up for your best semester yet, whether you're in nursing school or in your prereqs, okay? So the link to sign up for that free challenge is in the episode notes, so click on that, and I really hope to see you there. And then the link for study sesh will be in the episode notes as well, but it's straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash Sesh, I am so passionate about this project because I truly believe it will drastically change the way you study and enable you to use your brain in different ways while also using your body. You guys know I'm a huge advocate for that. So today we covered delirium. Next week, we'll dive into Alzheimer's to summarize all of this up together. So I hope to see you back here for that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.